I'm looking forward to uh, participating in something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering this year as a church here at Christ Community, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that as the day goes on. Um, but for now, I want us to uh, find in our Bible Matthew chapter 1, if you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, I want to encourage you to get your smartphone out. Uh, you can find it uh, on there. If you use the Bible app, all of our notes for today's sermon are in there, okay? And while you're finding that, um, I want to uh, introduce you to uh, each week through this Christmas season here at Christ Community, we want to do something uh, generous. We want to do something to give back. We want to do something to uh, be loving on our community. And so this week, uh, the challenge is simply this. Uh, Simpsonville Baptist Church has this incredible ministry that they do at Christmas. Uh, I think they simply call it the Christmas Store. And um, a ton of families in our community utilize this uh, to help provide Christmas for their families. And so uh, today we want to encourage you. They need help running that. December 12th and 13th are set up. December 14th, families uh, go in and they shop at discounted rates. And so you're getting new things at very discounted rates. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible program because they're spending their own money and, and yet it's a way to help people out and work together and walk with them. An incredible program, and they need help. So uh, you can help with setup, like the 12th or the 13th, or on the 14th, they need volunteers who host the families as they're shopping. You get a ton of one-on-one -on -one time. If you're the extrovert, you can help on the 14th, is what I'm saying. If you're the introvert, you can help on the 12th and the 13th, right? Uh, and so if you're interested in doing that, we're going to text out a link. Uh, you can text these words right now, or take a picture of this if you want to do it later. Text at Christmas Shop, Christmas with an X, Christmas Shop to 81010, and we'll send a link out to the sign-up form for that uh, at noon today, okay? So make sure you engage with that, a great way to give back and be a part of our, our community. So let me read today from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and then uh, pray for our time together. <clears throat> The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, name above all names, given to you by Joseph, we thank you that you came down to be with us, full of grace, full of truth. And as we remember that and celebrate that this Christmas season, I pray, God, that through your word and through your story, we would be reminded of the hope, the peace, the love, the joy that we have because of what you did for us. Father, speak clearly to us from your word this morning. We're so grateful for it. We're so grateful for you. We pray in your name. Amen. Stockings. The old poem says, the stockings were hum, 
hung from the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Whenever the stockings go up, it's a sign, it's a symbol that Christmas is here. It's Christmas time. So if you put your stocking up before Thanksgiving, it's Christmas time. You just can't, you just can't help it. That's just what it is. You know, stockings are so unique in our Christmas decor. I remember uh, the first few times that we began to hang stockings when we had kids. We're, we're up to three of those now, and that's plenty. Um, they're fun, they said. No, they, they really are fun. We do love them. But I remember when we first started hanging stockings for kids, and they were like between that age where they could read their name, but they could recognize, like they could talk. And so I could remember you'd hang the stocking, and it was like their question was, which one is mine? I want to know which one is mine. And, and, you know, all these stockings, everybody's stocking is unique. So at our house, everybody has different colors, their name is on it, you know, that type of thing. But everybody's stocking is unique. It's identified in, in some way. Uh, you know, as we've gotten older, like, that is the thing that we stuff all of our stuff in. Like, the good stuff comes in the stockings, am I right? The good stuff... Yeah, the good stuff comes in the stockings. And, and what you do at the end of Christmas at our house is you stuff as many of your things in there as you can because it's like, you know, that's my stocking. The stuff that's in that stocking is mine. It's the easiest way to keep things organized. We always know uh, there's all kinds of things at Christmas that, that begin to identify what's ours and who we are. We always know at Grandma's house, whose is what because everyone has a specific kind of wrapping paper. Anybody else's grandma do that? It's like all the red gifts are yours, all the green gifts are yours, right? There's labels, there's tags. Christmas is full of things that help us identify who we are. They help us to do that. And at the same time, Christmas can be a time where we begin to question who we are. We can lose sight of our identity so quickly in a season like Christmas. That's what was happening to Joseph as he neared the unexpected birth of Jesus. There were some things happening in Joseph's world that were causing him to lose sight of who he was. I see at least three of these things in this text that we can think about because all three could happen to us tomorrow. These three things could happen to us tomorrow, and we would be in the same boat as Joseph was that first Christmas. Three ways that we could lose sight of our identity tomorrow. The first is is simply being outshined. Being outshined by a spouse, a friend, someone close to us. We look back a couple of verses prior to our text at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. It's coming to the end of of Jesus' genealogy. It's trying to explain who Jesus was in this world. And it says, And Jacob, Father Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. Jesus doesn't even stand, uh, Joseph doesn't even stand on his own merits in the genealogy. He's not Joseph, the father of Jesus. He's Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary is the superstar in the story. You know, Jewish culture was unhealthy in its glorification of men. And that would have made the sting of Mary's notoriety even more painful for him. Don't hear me saying that that's justified, but it is real. And so how Joseph would have handled this, we we may not know exactly how he handled it, but the pressure for Joseph of not abiding by the cultural norm for gender roles would have no doubt caused Joseph to to raise some internal questions about his own identity. Guys especially, can you kind of put yourselves there? 
can I really be the man of this new house? I mean, Mary's kind of the superstar. Am I secure enough in who I am to live with the girl that everyone's talking about? It's not just for guys. When we're outshined by someone who's close to us, it can be really difficult. The first church that I served in, I served on staff with a guy named Ron Eversole. Ron was uh, a great guy. Bald as a cue ball, loved playing this game called pickleball. He was a good friend. And Ron was, in many ways, a mentor to me. And I remember beginning to have conversations with him as I was young in ministry about, man, what does it look like to be faithful in ministry? How do we, like, like, how are you supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do in life? I'm not sure who I am in all of this. And he told me this story. He said, you know, when I was in college, he said, my roommate and I had a conversation. And we had this conversation about where we saw ourselves 10 years from now. And he said, I explained to him, I'm from Louisville, and I think Louisville needs a a big, healthy church in Louisville. And so 10 years from now, I see myself going back. I'm going to start a church in Louisville that's going to grow. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be big. I think that's what the Lord has for me. And he said, my roommate looked back at me. He was from a small town in Pennsylvania. And he said, you know what? Um, I, I really just, I've got a heart for the people, like the rural people around where I grew up. And so I see myself going back to Pennsylvania and starting a church there, growing it to a healthy number of 200. Like, that's what I really think the Lord has for me in the next 10 years. That's who I think I am. Ron's roommate was a man named Bob Russell. Bob Russell moved to Louisville. You've heard about the church that he started or, you know, helped lead there. Ron Eversole, by the sovereignty of God, went to Pennsylvania and pastored a small church. Ron was a good friend. Ron was a faithful man. Ron was a great minister of the gospel. And part of the reason that I know that is because Ron had every reason in a world that values success and notoriety and big things to become jealous of the fact that his roommate, who was a friend of his, was outshining him in many of the ways that the world would define. What do we do when we're outshined? What do we do when the way we think life is going to go or the success we hope to have doesn't come to reality, doesn't come to fruition? We begin to ask ourselves internal questions about our identity. Am I living a lie? Am I just not self-aware? Would I rather blame my lack of success on someone else? Who am I? Am I secure in who God has made me to be? I think Joseph was probably wrestling with a lot of these questions as Mary became the star of the story. And I think that many of us, if we're honest, do too. Because being outshined by someone close to us can cause us to lose sight of who we are. And so too can serious life change. Serious life change. Look at verse 18. Says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was walking through some serious life change. Can I get an amen? He was committing his life to Mary. He's gotten engaged. The wedding is approaching. The feet are getting colder. And then she got pregnant. That is some serious life change, folks. It's like riding a bull. Life is changing and spinning hard to the right, and then all of a sudden the bull goes back to the left, and they expect you to hold on. Like, how are we, how are we supposed to navigate these kinds of life changes? 
In Joseph's case, he went from being a single dude to a soon-to-be husband to a soon-to-be dad. Who was Joseph? Which one of those roles was he supposed to fulfill? Even he had to be guessing as to how he was supposed to step into all those things at the same time. I'm not sure what 2019 has brought for you specifically. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know what's working inside of your life. But for many of us, significant life change has happened. Maybe a baby was born. Maybe a baby was lost. Maybe you had a wedding. Maybe it wasn't even yours, it was a child's. Maybe there was a divorce. Parents. Maybe there was a death in your family. Maybe there was a job change. A job change for the better. A job change for the worse. Maybe kids were moving out. Maybe kids were moving in. When we experience these significant and serious life changes, our identity, man, it gets woven inside of that, and we are, we are just reeling as we try and figure out who we really are in the middle of all that change. Any of those changes could have sparked questions in your mind about who you are and about how you fit in the world. Serious life change is another way that we can lose sight of our identity. The third way that I think we see in this text that, that we could just lose sight of our identity tomorrow, like it could just happen to us, is that we would hide behind our reputation. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. I find it interesting that the text specifies that Joseph was a righteous man. It's like the modern-day version of us saying, he's a really good guy. At the end of the day, being described as a really good guy amounts to very little. We find ourselves wanting to give Joseph credit for being a good guy. But read the rest of the sentence. He didn't want to disgrace Mary. Okay, bonus points. You're a good guy that didn't want to disgrace Mary. Great. But then he makes up his mind to go ahead and divorce her secretly. In other words, I don't want Mary to get shamed over this, but I do have a reputation to uphold. I'm a good guy. I'm a righteous guy. I know what people are going to think when they find out Mary's pregnant, and I've got a reputation to manage. I'm a righteous guy. I can't, I can't have anyone thinking I'm not a righteous guy. You know, we may not all be Joseph. We may not all be in Joseph's situation, but we are all tempted to hide behind our perceived reputations. And when we do that, we lose sight of who we are created to be. We think to ourselves, I'm a community leader. I can't be seen in this light, so I'll just sweep this under the rug. We think, I'm a business owner with a brand to protect, so I've got to make sure that this doesn't get out. How about this one? I'm a good parent, and I want to be known as a good parent, so I don't want to let people see that my kid is struggling to behave. All of a sudden, in our mind, our identity is tied to people's perception of us rather than who we really are. You know, this is one of those temptations that we usually drift into. We look up and we realize all of a sudden that we're living as though our occupation or our family role or the labels that people have given to us are more important than our identity as a follower of Christ. It's not like we decide. It's not like that we just think, this is the way that I want it to be. We drift into it. One guy said it this way. 
I woke up one morning, I found myself investing more in upholding the identities people had given to me rather than investing in the identity that God had given to me. Joseph was in this season where he had lost sight. He had the opportunity to lose sight of who he was. I believe, because many of us struggle with sin and temptation, just like Joseph did, that we all live with that same reality, that tomorrow we could lose sense of who we really are in Christ. Maybe we're sitting here in this room today realizing that that is true, that we're investing more in the identities that people have given to us than we are in the identity that God has given to us. So what is the identity that God has given to you? How did God identify Joseph, and how does he identify you and I? Verse 20. But after Joseph had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, son of David. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a son of David? We need to do a little history work. We need to do a little context work from Scripture, all right? So if you've got your Bible or if you're on your iPhone, uh, flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has just become the king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the anointed king. You may remember from the biblical story, and if you don't, it's okay, that, that Saul was really frustrated that David had been anointed the new king, and so he literally chases him around for several years, and then eventually David becomes the king. He's just now become the king. After all that trial, after all that tribulation, he's become the king, and the prophet Nathan, sent by God with the words of God, comes to David and says this, David, when your time comes... If you're David, you're like, you you got to be kidding me. I just became the king. Let's stop talking about the end. He said, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Sunday school answer. Who do you think he's talking about? Jesus. Of course, David isn't going to last forever. Of course, David isn't going to have a human son that lasts forever. This text, more than a thousand years before we get to Jesus, is pointing to Jesus. He's telling David, a son of yours, someone in your line, will be a king that lasts forever. A king that lasts forever. And so this term, son of David, it became something that that was very messianic. In other words, it was something that, that reminded people of the promise of the coming Christ. It reminded people that God had a plan to bring them into a kingdom that lasted forever. It was a very, very important name. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's even how Jesus is identified before the genealogy. This is an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
You see, David was promised that one of his offspring would rule forever. Jesus was called the son of David while he was here on this earth. Matthew would go on to, to give us at least six times that Jesus is called the son of David in this story. He was born in David's city, Bethlehem. The Gospel of Matthew records these various people on different times saying it, acknowledging that Jesus is the son of David. This is a messianic title that reminds the people, it reminds the people that God has a plan to include them in this kingdom that lasts forever. And this is what the angel calls Joseph. That's what the angel calls Joseph. Whoa. In Joseph's season where he's got the opportunity to, to lose sight of who he is, of who God made him to be, of how important he is, the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Son of David. You see, God is reminding Joseph that he has a name that lasts forever, that promises hope in days to come. In a season of Joseph's life where everything doesn't seem to be going according to plan, he says, no, 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 you are a son of David. You're a son of David. You have hope because of the one that is to come. You have hope. Give or take a few years, a thousand years passes between God's promise to David and this reminder to Joseph. God had known the plan. He revealed it at just the right time to Joseph, and at just the right time he revealed to Joseph that he was his son. And you know what? The good news of Jesus Christ is that he does the exact same thing for you. That at just the right time, he reminded you that Jesus came so that you could be a son or a daughter of the one true king. You have a name that lasts forever. It promises hope in the days to come. This past week, uh, I was so grateful for many of you that reached out and loved on our family as my grandpa passed away. Grandpa was a rock in our family, a man of God. And uh, I'd forgotten what it was like to go to a small town and be a part of a visitation and a funeral in a, in a very tight-knit, small farming community. And so uh, I'm the oldest of four boys. And um, there's, yeah, anyway, I'm that, right? So we get the visitation. And the visitation was supposed to go from three to eight. That's a super long visitation. Like, we don't do that down here. I don't, it was just whatever. So at three o'clock, right, at three o'clock, I'm, like, hanging out in the food room, and I get beckoned, Blake, where are you at? People are here. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I've been gone for 15 years. They're like, no, no, no. Everybody needs to be out here, right? Everybody needs to be out here. And I walk out the door, and there's this line at 3 o'clock. And that line lasted until 9.30 at night. And whether I wanted to be there or not, I was going to stand in that line and greet every person that I didn't know or didn't remember and this really interesting thing began to just become, like, it just became clear to me, right? People are coming through, and no one really cared about the labels that I wear now. No one cared that I was the pastor of Christ Community Church. No one cared that I was uh, dad to Tinley and Preston and Magnolia. Nobody cared about those identifiers. You know what they wanted to know? Whose son are you? I'm Steve's son. Okay, so you're connected to Jerry because he's your grandpa. That's it. 
You see, on that night, my identity had nothing to do with what I had accomplished after leaving Davies County, Indiana. Had nothing to do with the roles that I held vocationally, the successes or failures that I'd had. My core identity was connected to the one who had died and gone to heaven. Can I tell you today, your identity is not wrapped up in what you've succeeded at or failed at, the job title that you hold, the person that you're married to. Your core identity is connected to the one who has died and gone to heaven. His name is Jesus. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a daughter or a son of the living God, a child of the one true king. You have a name that lasts forever, that promises hope in days to come. And because of that, the angel said to Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How quickly you and I forget and how often you and I need to be reminded of the same things that we tell our kids. Hey, don't be afraid of those bullies at school. Hey, don't be afraid to get hit by the ball when you're batting. Hey, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to sit with a kid who needs a friend at lunch. Don't be afraid to try something new. Adults, if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, following him in believer's baptism like we saw with Charlie this morning, you are his child. And he's reminding you, don't be afraid of those who didn't make all the same life choices that you did. Just keep choosing me. Don't be afraid to, to lean into conflict because I am with you, Emmanuel. Don't be afraid to talk about your expectations with others and, and begin to communicate about what's really going on inside of your life. It will help to bring peace. Don't be afraid to be friends with people that need friends because when you love them, you love me. That's what the Father tells you. Don't be afraid to try something new no matter how long you've done the same old thing because when you stick with my plans, when you stick with me, my plans will never fail. You have a name that lasts forever, that promises hope in days to come. You are a child of the one true king if you have placed your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. One question remains. What must we do as sons and daughters of the king? See, it's one thing to say that we place our hope and faith in Jesus. It's one thing to say that. It's an entirely different thing to do it. Look at verses 24 and 25 with me. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did. He did. The dream restored his hope, but when he woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. You see, Joseph's hope helped him face the day. Hope isn't just about what happens in the end. It's what we cling to, yes, but it's the courage to take action now. Hope isn't just the warm, fuzzy feeling that we have when we think about how good Jesus is and how nice heaven will be. Hope inspires us to stick with what Jesus started. Stick with what Jesus started. How do we do that? How do we take action on the hope that we have because of Jesus? 1 Thessalonians 1.3 reminds us of this truth. It says, We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because of the hope we have in Jesus, we can endure. We can endure many things. Our world does not know what endurance looks like. Commitment is foreign. Working through hard things is foreign. 
It's all about comfort for the individual. But the hope of the gospel, the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, allows us to endure. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Church, what do you say we stick with what Jesus started? You say, but how? How do I really do that? Because I can't seem to find the willpower to really remain committed to something. I wish I had that kind of self-discipline to just make it happen, but that's just not there for me yet. Like, I can try, but two days later, I'm back to the same old thing. How does this work? Everything in the world says do what's best for you, and do that right now, in the moment. Be committed to you. And that's great until you lose sight of who you are. You're reminded that the only identity that matters is the one given to you by the Father. And as his child, your commitment, your only hope lies in being committed to him. So how do we live in this hope that we have through Jesus? How do we live committed lives? Church, I want to ask us to do something that's just different than what we see in our world. And it's to give yourself to accountability. Give yourself to accountability. You see, in a world that tells us to to keep working our way up until we don't have to answer to anybody, we as followers of Christ must choose to keep giving ourselves to one another, to be accountable to one another. That's backwards. That's opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us, keep climbing the, the ladder of success so that you can do whatever you want. You can be free to do whatever you want. As followers of Christ, what if we lived the opposite way and said, you know what, I want to give myself to be accountable to you to another group of people, to other followers of Christ, so that we might endure because of the hope we have in Jesus. I'm really um, grateful and excited about so many of you that engaged with community groups this fall. Uh, I think it was a, a really good season. We had a lot of new people that connected into groups. And whenever we get into those kinds of relational environments, that's the first step of, of giving ourselves to accountability, of saying, I'm, I'm going to get so involved relationally with a group of people that they have the right and the opportunity and the authority to speak into my life. And so here at Christ Community, one of the things that we want to keep doing, and we want to, we're going to try as many different ways as we can to get you in those relational environments where you might give yourself to accountability to others. Because it's different. It's hard. We know. But we need each other in that process. And so in January, as some of you know or have heard, if you haven't, we're excited. We have groups that we launch twice a year, and we, we do these things called equip classes twice a year. Because some people, like, they love to go eat food and hang out and shoot the breeze and get in Scripture that way. Other people are like, give me a class. Like, I want fill in the blanks, okay? Like, let's, let's go. All right, well, fine. We'll, we'll get you in that environment. It's good, right? So we want to equip you with some information, some classes, in hopes that we can get you into situations with other people where you would say, you know what, I really do need some help with this. I'm going to give myself to be accountable to other people in this process. And so we've got five coming up on Sunday nights in January. Every Sunday night in January, five to seven, we want, we want everybody in the church leaning into this together, giving ourselves to one another to be accountable, to grow, to be equipped in these five different areas. We've got a marriage class. And, and to that, like, you could be on all kinds of ranges, right? It could be like, 
man, I know that like marriage is hard. We've been through some seasons. It's good right now. And, and I just know that I need that continual accountability. I need to keep thinking about how to keep my marriage sharp. Or you might be saying right now, you know what? I'm thinking about quitting this marriage thing. Would you endure because of the hope that you have in the gospel? That's one. We've got a class on finances. I'm excited for that. Maybe you're thinking about just quitting on your finances. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. But maybe you just need accountability on that. This class can help be that for you. We've got a class on how to read your Bible from cover to cover. We've got a class on uh, fostering and adoption. Maybe the Lord's been stirring that in you, and you're not really sure what to do, what next steps to take, but you need some accountability to finish that process in your life. Do that. Like, come engage with that. Um, and then we've got one other class. I, I'm drawing a blank, and I should have made the list. Marriage, finance, how to read your Bible. Oh, and we've got uh, the last one is all about identity and your strengths. Maybe you're like, man, I, like, I know I'm a child of God, but I'm not sure what, how God's really wired me, and I need help to do that so that I can be accountable to use those gifts for him. So go to this website, loveshowville.com slash equip. Sign up for a class there, and let's give ourselves to be accountable to one another. Not just because we want to get better at something, not just because we want to get ahead, but because we want to be accountable to be good stewards of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lean into those things because they give you the accountability. You need to stick with the God who calls you a child. Stick with what Jesus started. You know, 2019, we talked earlier, may have brought something that makes you want to quit. Christmas may bring back memories that make you want to give up. I implore you to know that we are with you God is with you, and the hope that you have in him is enough to stick with what you've started. Last but not least, I want us to think about how we as a church body, how, how we as an organization stick with what Jesus has started in us. 2020 will turn 10 as a church. As we get to that age, it's really important that we stick with what Jesus started. When I say that, I don't mean that we do things the way that we've always done them. I say that we stick with the Jesus that started something in us and the call that he gave to us to go outside, to reach into our community and to find those who don't know Jesus and offer them the hope that we have. To not see Love Shelbyville Day as a program, but as an opportunity, as a bridge to build relationships with people that are far from Christ and to invite them to a relationship with him. To see planning churches not as a, a, an operation or a system, but rather as a way to, to set up beacons of light in communities that so desperately need them, in a region that's 88% unchurched. We have to stick with what Jesus started. We need to make ourselves accountable to one another that we as a church stick with the vision that he has called us to. We have to stick with the vision to be supporting missions. One of the new partnerships that I'm really, really, really excited about is with a group of missionaries in Central Asia. 
this past week, I had the opportunity to Zoom call or whatever, video call with um, a missionary that, that we are hoping to partner with um, and, and will be partnering with in the years to come. And so the video that you saw at the top of the sermon is uh, made by an organization called the International Mission Board, IMB. And they send thousands of missionaries. They're supported through what we give, uh, part of what you give, and, and so many other churches around the world who are giving to this organization. And we're going to be fortunate enough to partner with one in a much more, much more relational way. So this past week I had a video chat with him. I began to learn about where he is in Central Asia and um, what they're doing. And he actually, like his, his cover, because it's not a safe place to be, his cover is working with a, a sports company where he, uh, he coaches and plays football. And their business, uh, which is owned by a guy who's not a believer, it's amazing, uh, is getting ready to start a baseball program. And he called us and he said, hey, I hear that Christ Community has some guys that could help us get going with a baseball camp. Can you come in 2020 and help us figure out what that looks like? So, number one, if you know how to do this and that, I need you to do me a favor and text at GoAsia to 81010 and you have a heart for the gospel and you have a heart for the gospel going where less than 1% of the people know Jesus. We're hoping to do that in 2020. The other thing that we're doing to support international missionaries that we've got to, that like this is part of us enduring, right? This is part of us because of the hope that we have in the gospel, sticking with what Jesus started, a heart for the world, a heart for missions, a heart to see people know Jesus is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We've been talking about it. Uh, and so this offering uh, is huge. It's a huge offering, and it goes to support international missionaries all over the world. We're going to be taking that up specifically through checking cash on December 22nd. But if you want to give to that, uh, leading up to that, or maybe you're not going to be here on the 22nd. We hope you are. You can text. Any, anything that comes in through text giving in the month of December will go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, all right? So you can text a dollar amount to the number on the screen, and that will go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, okay? And that supports not only our new partner, whose name I won't say right now for security reasons, but it also goes to support thousands of other missionaries who are working in places where the name of Jesus is not known by up to as many as 100% of the people. So, faith in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus gives you a name that lasts forever because it makes you a son or a daughter of a king whose kingdom lasts forever. That's hope. That is hope. That is something to cling to and hold on to. I love how this passage ends. Joseph, who's wrestling through all of these things that can mess with his identity and who he is and what he's here for and what his purpose is and why he's like, I don't even know what's going on. And it ends like this. And he named him Jesus. Joseph, the guy who at the beginning of the story wasn't even sure who he was, names the Savior Sure, it was an act of obedience, but it's more than that. 
It's the passing of an identity. It's Joseph, the son of David, identifying Jesus as the son of David, the one who would rule forever and take away our sins. Christmas is all about the beginning of Jesus' story here on earth. But we also know the end. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying for your sins and for mine, making a way for us to be sons and daughters, when he came to the end of that struggle, he spoke the words, it is finished. Now we know his life wasn't finished because three days later he was alive and well. So what was it that was finished? Our salvation. The redemption of your broken and sinful life was finished. Your salvation is not based on what you can finish. It's not based on what you can endure. It's not based on your commitment. It is finished. Your name, your identity as a child of God is locked up. It's finished. And that grace that we believe by faith is what saves you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross saves you from your sins. If so, you have the hope that helps you to endure that's there in the darkest of times. If you believe that to be true and you've never acted on that hope, then you need to follow Jesus' example in believer's baptism and proclaim to all who would listen that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But if you have been baptized, we invite you to take communion with us today. Scripture reminds us of why we take communion when it says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it was his death that proclaimed to you that your salvation was finished. And so today we remember that our salvation is finished. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. It gives you a name that lasts forever. Child of the one true King. I'm going to pray for us as the band comes back. Today, as every day at Christ Community, uh, we want to respond. We want to take action on what we believe. And so, as I've shared about communion, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, we invite you to come forward, take a piece of the bread, and dip it in the juice as it's served to you. Today, if you have not made a decision... Maybe, maybe you've believed, but you've never acted on that. You've never been baptized, as you've seen Charlie baptized this morning. I'd love to, to talk with you about what your next step is in Christ. If you're new with us today, I want to encourage you. There's uh, some cards on these back tables that uh, just have a little bit of information, your phone number and your name. We'd love to get in contact with you, learn your story, and uh, figure out how we can walk with you as you walk with Christ. Also at those tables, if you'd like to give today to Christ's community and the mission of God's church, 
We invite you to do that before we pray for our offering after our time of response. But I implore you, act, respond, because of the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for us today as we get ready to respond to that good news. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and how you love us. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. And so, Jesus, we come to you this morning as broken people. Maybe we're in a season where our identity is is not being found in you. Maybe we realize for the first time this morning that, uh, man, we've we've been living a life for ourselves and, and not for you. Father, we just thank you that in the midst of our brokenness, we can cling to the hope that salvation is finished on the cross. And I pray that for those who have not given themselves to that hope this morning that are in our midst, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to say, I believe. I believe. Maybe for some even to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, give us all the courage to act, to take next steps, to walk with you with courage and endurance because of the hope we have in Jesus. Help us to respond as your spirit leads, we pray in his name. Amen.